Wasn't it, Bill? <laughs> Things don't always go as you plan. But that was fine. That was fine. Hey, uh, yeah, we need to pray. There's several guys that are not here because uh, they're out in Colorado, have some car trouble getting back, I just heard. So pray for them. Mike's with them. Uh, uh, over the last, uh, since January, we've been uh, on a study of biblical manhood that I teach once a month. And in the course of that study, we've hit some pretty tough topics. Uh, today, I think, will be a little lighter, but just as important. We're going to address some tendencies of women, but also men, and I hope we can laugh a little bit about ourselves in the process. Uh, if you go back to the garden after naming the creatures, the first role given to man was as a husband. Uh, and one of the most important aspects of preparing to be or to be a husband uh, is to understand that woman. Yet, for most men, this is easier said than done. Okay? One man once said that for many, understanding what a woman wants is like trying to figure out what color the number seven smells like. <laughs> All right? So, understanding what makes a woman tick is a worthy goal for any man. Uh, I know that I have a much better idea of the inner workings of my beloved since our first date 52 years ago, but I continue to learn each day, and I'm certainly not an expert on women in general. Thankfully, we have people who are, who have studied women and who can help us. Shanti and Jeff Feldman took a year to research, interview, and conduct a professional study of several thousand women to help men understand this most mysterious, complex, and beautiful of all God's creatures. Shanti started to help women understand their husbands, so she did research and wrote a book called For Women Only. Okay? Uh, and uh, the response to that from women and very grateful men was so great that there was a call for her and her husband to write the next book for men only, which is the one we're going to talk about today. Uh, now, uh, Christy and I and several other couples went over these books many years ago and found them to be very helpful. So when I pulled them off the shelf, it was a welcome refresher of things that maybe I had neglected over the years. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to, to take that refresher course. It's, as you can tell, these are small books, easy read. But sometimes there are emergencies for guys, okay? You ever had this come up, guys, where there's a problem, something's broken, or something you got to do immediately, so you rush off to the hardware store or wherever, you come home with the new gizmo or whatever, you open the box, and you're met with a small novel of instructions for proper and safe usage, okay? Uh, yeah, not very helpful. But Jeff foresaw that problem. And so he provided what every man appreciates in an emergency, a quick start guide. <laughs> okay? So on the side it says, why does she, and then for instance, uh, let's see, get an idea in her head and fixate on it even when you've already explained why it's no big deal. <laughs> then 
here's why, you ex she explains why she feels that way, and then what to do. So I don't recommend this as your sole resource, but it would be helpful in an emergency if you've not read the book yet, or if you read it a long time ago and you want to get a quick answer, okay? It'll at least answer some of those questions. So uh, let me just ask just how important, guys, is it to understand our wives and how God made them? Uh, in his passage on marital relations, Peter tells husbands to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are equal heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Kind of sounds like understanding is important. Uh, my exhortation to all of us today who wish to be biblical men is to understand our wives or girlfriends for the single guys. If you want to have a better understanding, especially if you happen to be sitting next to her, today you may want to pay attention. Okay? Again, these books are not about saving your marriage, but they may, in fact, help simply understanding each other so that you can have the best relationship, both in preparing for marriage and after the wedding for decades to come. If you are single or have lost a spouse, can't hurt to get a better grasp for how the other sex functions for your own benefit and perhaps to help others. Now, while you may not hear as much scripture today as we normally cover here in this message, it's good to encourage one another in this most biblical of pursuits using the wisdom of others. So I hope it will give us some more insight into the male-female relationship that God designed. Now, what the Felbans present here are not principles or laws that apply universally. So if after hearing this, your wife or girlfriend says you know, that some or maybe none of it really applies to her, just understand that the Feldmans are telling us those traits and needs that not all, but most women report or identify about themselves. Uh, just as women were shocked by what Shanti revealed to them about the male half of the race, guys, while you may be surprised, your wife may say something like, I can't believe you didn't know that about me. So let's take a look some of the major findings. The first one on your sheet would be reassurance. And then it says the deal is never closed. So the big concept here is that women need to feel loved. Now, it's not a big shocker, but notice I did not say they need to be loved, which is obvious. Beyond, rather, hard work, provision, protection, respect, and even manners, they need the assurance of actually feeling love. Uh, the chapter subtitle is, Why Her I Do Will Always Mean Do You and What to Do About It. This may be part of what Peter means by a weaker vessel when he says, uh, meaning more delicate, more sensitive, more emotional. Now, guys, don't raise your hands, but would you really want to be married to somebody who acts like a man? Okay, uh, this is the difference that God put into both of us to attract us to one another and to keep us together. The Feldmans found that these feelings in women were frequent and generally intense. To the chagrin of most men, it makes no difference if by our actions she should know logically that we love her. She must feel 
the love. Now, this may arise due to a number of things, conflict, emotional exhaustion, absence of her man, unresolved relational problems, or male withdrawal and or silence. Now, this last one surprised me. Ladies, I think you probably know that all of us hate the silent treatment. So you clam up, we have no idea what's wrong, we don't know what to do. Uh, and I always thought that the silent treatment was a distinctly female weapon. However, when confronted about this, I had to admit that I am capable and have actually done this as well. Maybe in response to a criticism, uh, rebuffed advances, uh, but the Feldman's research tells us that when the male goes silent, it is more damaging to her than her silence is to the male. So I want to warn all men that when a man does not resolve this issue or this impasse, the effects can be devastating. So what to do? The first that you'll see there is regular reassurance. So if there's a problem, conflict, uh, if you're upset, you, the man, are upset. Reassure her that you really do love her. You can say something like, hey, listen, honey, I'm upset. I need some time to process, but I want you to know we're okay. It's not about how I feel about you. Now, if she's upset, understand generally that she doesn't necessarily need space. She needs a hug. If she wants to talk, we listen. More about that later. Don't try to fix with your logical solutions. Again, more about that later. If she's being difficult or pushing away, swallow your pride, tell her you love her, and ask her to help you understand. The second thing is persistent pursuit. You know, we can all recall what it was like to pursue before marriage, or those of us who have been. What we forgot is that after we carry her across the threshold, I haven't ever seen anybody actually do that, but that's the... That's what they say when you first get married. Uh, and you start acting like the deal is closed. She really wants us to continue the hunt. Pursuit is action. If we stop acting like we don't need to pursue, it creates insecurity in her. This is brought out to the Feldmans in the movie called The Parent Trap. Some of you remember the original with Haley Mills and the split screen and all that. Okay, and I don't know which one they, they picked up on this one, but apparently, you know, if you haven't seen it for the younger people, uh, I think there have been some remakes, but uh, uh, identical twins are separated shortly after birth by divorce. Okay, and uh, a decade or so goes by, and somehow they end up in the same place. They figure out who they are, and they connive and scheme to switch places, go home to the, op the, to the other home, and to try to get their parents back together, and they succeed to get them in the same room to talk. And the two, of the, the father and the mother are talking, and they say, what happened to us? And they're trying to figure it all out, and, and then the, the husband, the father says, when you left, why didn't you come back? And she said, well, when I got on that plane, you did not come after me. Pursuit is critical. Don't stop. Next one, and I'm just summarizing here. There's a lot more in the book. Emotions. Windows open. The subtitle for this is, What You Should Know About the Fabulous Female Brain, A Guide for Lower Life Forms. Okay. So, what... What is this Windows thing? Well, the reference is to computer windows, okay? From their research, the Feldmans concluded at least three points about the female brain. First, 
Most women juggle multiple thoughts and feelings at the same time, similar to a computer that has several windows open for differing programs like documents and emails and social media and other things that I don't even understand. Women have been given the ability to multitask with different concerns and responsibilities going on in their heads simultaneously, jumping back and forth at will or even against her will. Four out of five women admitted to this, with this tendency among younger women with kids jumping to 95%. It was amazing when I came in this morning, Christina was saying while she was knitting, something I could never do. Yeah. Uh, Men, on the other hand, can actually exist with very little cognitive activity. So it's possible that a woman can ask a man what he's thinking about, and his honest response would be, nothing. Okay? Now, gentlemen, please be warned. If you ask a question like that, and the response is occurred, nothing, believe me, you've got a problem on your hand. Uh, she's thinking something. And it may be that there's a window about you that has not been closed. All right. This also explains why more, it's more common for women to change topics in the middle of a conversation. Women have so much more to talk about at the end of the day that a worn-out mom, a worn-out man, all he wants to do is rest and sit. Uh, women in general are much more verbal than men, and moms with young children crave adult conversations when their husband comes home. Another aspect of the female mind are what we might call pop-ups, like those pesky things that show up on your screens. These are thoughts about unresolved problems, current or past, even from years ago, that just pop up and interrupt their day. Only about 3% of women surveyed said this never happens to them. Again, higher incidence for young moms. Men can have pop-ups as well, but they're just not as common as with women. Pop-ups can result in a woman bringing up things that happened years ago, a conversation that suddenly turns into an argument or a hurt seemingly unconnected to the moment's mood or context. Men tend to see these pop-ups of their women as her choice of emotion over reason. But for the woman, there's no bulkhead between those two. Reason and emotion are not mutually exclusive for women. She may be just as surprised that an old problem has not been resolved and healed when her past emotionally invades her present. Women report a much more difficult time in closing the windows than do men. Uh, men seem to have the ability to compartmentalize and separate one thought from another. At times, this will result in rationalizations and justifications for wrong or stupid things that men do. I understand that there's a whole, bunch, a whole bunch more cross-sphere brain activity with females than there are with males. This allows women to take all aspects into account for a more complete picture, but it also makes it harder to set aside past thoughts and events, which may interfere with what's happening now. This includes thoughts that are unwanted. The Feldmans concluded that the vast majority of women simply are not wired to easily ignored unwanted thoughts. They may be able to minimize them, but those thoughts can pop back up even when she does not want to think about them. Now, the effect on men is that she may seem preoccupied by what we see as unimportant 
when she stews over something that we've dismissed or she's too upset or distracted for intimacy. These effects are not likely to be resolved by simply saying, stop thinking about those things. Well, what do you do? First, you rethink how she thinks. She's not trying to overwhelm you or bother you with a dozen, a dozen different things at once. She just has a dozen, a dozen different files open and running. She can't not think about those things. If she brings up offenses from the past, don't jump to the conclusion that she's holding a grudge. She may be just trying to process unfinished issues and close it out so she can let it go. Secondly, understand it may not be about you. Now, be careful. I'm not saying your default position is it's not about me, because it might be. Uh, but just allow for the possibility that she's trying just to her best just to resolve another problem. Shanti suggests that if you're not sure, which is often the case with men, just ask, dear, please help me understand if I've hurt you or if it's something else, okay? Now, Kent's corollary to that is if you know you've done something stupid or hurtful, that question will only make it worse, <laughs> all right? So if that's the case, genuinely confess and ask for forgiveness so that you guys can move on. Finally, help her close out the window. Don't ignore the problem. If you're not the problem, when an old hurt pops up, be a listening ear, give her a hug, and reassure her. Encourage her to take any action necessary to close that window. Under no circumstances, allow the words, just don't think about it, to come from your mouth. Okay, another hard one for guys to understand is the whole issue of security, which I've said is the work at home. In trying to start a solo law practice, of course, I, like most men, felt tremendous pressure to provide for a rapidly growing family. And I've no doubt that that pressure caused me to be blind to something that a lot of guys do not get. We said at the beginning of the series that one of the main roles of a man is to provide for his family. And we said in God's word the stark reality with which Paul confronts us when he smiles and says, it's okay if you don't want to work, you just don't get to eat. Okay? And then more pointedly, uh, he said, any man who does not provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever in 1 Timothy 5. Providing is not only part of male DNA, it's where we get a significant part of our self-worth. Uh, and what we do is a large part of what defines each of us. Every man knows when he meets another man for the first time, one of the questions is going to be, what do you do or where do you work? Males trying to be good men generally think that the primary means of providing her security is largely through our provision. So long as... Uh, so we will go to any length to do so, even if it means hard work and long hours. Most guys think that she sees the equation as longer hours equals more love. The problem is she does not, as a rule. The short of this chapter is that her security depends more on you being there emotionally than being there financially. It might be good to define what security means to her. Now, let me summarize here by what the Feldmans came up with in their survey. She will feel more secure when she feels close to you. Okay? The guy responds is, well, 
we do live together and share the same bed, how could we not be close? Well, physical proximity and even intimacy don't sum up closeness for her. Some wives even feel lonely when we are present. If a man gets a hint that things are not going well, he might try of thinking of something bigger, like taking her out on a date like, they used, like you used to do. No doubt she appreciates that, but what she really wants more are the little things that you do. Now, you may be mystified by what I mean by little things, and I can't go over it, so read the book. I would say, though, that these are things that even I can do. And even in addition to all that, she also wants to feel that you are best friends. She will feel more secure when time with her is a priority. She feels secure when she knows that she is second only to God in our pecking order. This means higher than our activities and our job. It does not mean that we quit our job or take, go part-time. But if you've got a reasonable work schedule, it is what we do with those limited non-working hours. Most wives are grateful if their husband's involved with a, a good men's Bible study or a real accountability group. But she may count inordinate time on hobbies or activities without her or out with the guys as time stolen from her. She will feel more secure when you're active in the family. And this is the priority issue applied to the kids as well. Security comes when she sees us actively engaged. Some wives felt that they entered the part as a partnership at the wedding and ended up as a sole proprietor in the family. Parenting and household manages, management are not women's work. Rather, mom and dad are to work together, as we see in Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6, and many other passages pl which place the primary responsibility for care and training of the family on husbands and fathers. Now, what about the occasional work emergency? Okay, those happen. Sometimes it requires work late at night or sometimes on weekends or whatever. That, that can occur, and the question is, how do we balance that out? A good example to me is my son-in-law, who some of you know is the district attorney, and he has tremendous pressure on himself, uh, and uh, sometimes he's, he gets called in the middle of the night, and he's got to go out and look at a crime scene or talk to somebody somewhere else. However, he makes up for that with special times with his wife, and with his kids, I walked into their house one time, and it was uh, you know, about 8 o'clock or so in the evening, and I hear Mike playing his guitar and singing to his younger kids to get them to sleep. I mean, this guy gets it. That's what we need to have is balance, because emergencies will come up, and we've got to have something to balance that out. Well, she will feel more secure when you try to provide. Wait a minute. Now, we just said that work's the problem. No, we didn't say that. Our, it is our role to provide. The issue is balance. The bottom line is that the Fellmans uncovered in their survey was that between 70 and 90% of women, depending on age and experience, would choose a lower-paying job for their husband with more family time over 
a higher paying job that takes a husband away from the home too much. Women want their husbands to, to not only provide, but to be satisfied and fulfilled in their jobs. They just want her and the family to take priority over that work. Okay. Got another one that you guys have probably all heard about. Listening. Fixing our urge to fix. Yeah, guys, you ever had this experience? She says, I want to talk. You say, okay. And she explains a problem. And you care, you love her, so you try to give her advice. And then she acts like you don't really care or you're not listening. Okay, anybody? Nobody's going to admit that. All right. Uh, let's start with a distinction here. Uh, many have heard the, the, the old phrase, she does not want you to fix it. Anybody seen the spoof with the lady with the nail on her head, her forehead? Okay, you get it. That's a spoof. Uh, but this does not apply every time she brings up a concern. It may be a problem that you really can fix or get fixed. You know, maybe it's a, a strange sound under the car hood. Maybe it's a mouse under the sink. Or how to get the vegematic to slice and dice properly. It, you know, you might be able to actually do it and provide a solution. In those situations, you are free to go full male and ride to the rescue as we are wired to do. No gender translation gear necessary. However, we must all learn to listen more carefully to the subject. If she wants to talk about relationships and well-being or friends or conflict, we need to hold off on our natural inclination. As we used to say in the military, we need to engage our brain housing groups before we open our verbal ports. All right? If you have those clues, uh, there are a couple of realities. The phrase, she does not want you to fix it, really means she does not need you to fix it. She's quite capable, in most cases, of solving the problems, even if it appears that she's upset at the moment. Now, an exception to this would be when Chrissy comes to me and says she wants to talk, and she says, I really want you to tell me what you think or what your advice would be. Uh, without a call for assistance, though, it's much better just to continue to listen. More importantly, that phrase, she does not want you to fix it, means she wants you to instead focus on her feelings, not on the problem. Okay? Now, ladies, please understand, it's our nature to try to fix, cut through the emotions, focus on the facts and the issues at hand. But guys, we have to try to grasp the reality that her negative feelings are the real issue. So, what do we do? Give her your full physical attention. Now, guys may reason. She's talking. I'm hearing her words. Therefore, I'm listening while I watch the game. Now, if you've ever done that, you learned really quickly that was not a good rationalization. All right? So the first step is to take our attention off of anything that can distract or take our attention away from her. Now, this might mean turning off the tube. It might be, might be getting away from noisy kids or just doing whatever you need to do to pay attention when she approaches. The thing that's gotten me in trouble the most is this. Okay? And so I, uh, we, can, we can show our physical attention by turning the phone face down or even better saying, honey, so we can talk about this without distraction, let's both of us turn our phones off or silence or whatever. Okay, so no physical distractions, not quite there yet. 
Again, guys will rationalize. If I've stopped doing something else, I'm listening, right? But listening is not simply doing nothing while she talks. Uh, rather, it's actually identifying her feelings, giving it serious thought, and looking for the story behind the story. Ladies, another distinction here that we need to be aware of. Most women have an almost unlimited capacity to listen and to process emotion. Problem is, most men do not. Uh, your guy is, just, is not just like your best girlfriend who can listen and interact with you emotionally for hours. For men, listening is like physical work or exercise which can take us to the point of exhaustion. Our brains start to shut down after a certain amount of emotion. Uh, apparently, attention deficit disorder is three times more likely in males than females. So we tend to check out even involuntarily. So ladies, if it appears he's really trying to listen, but you see his eyes start to glaze over, please don't jump to any conclusions. It may simply be a frailty that he and most of us have. Guys, be proactive. If you feel yourself approaching your limit, you would do well to, to tell your wife that you're running out of attention fuel. <laughs> blame, blame yourself. Don't give her any thought that you don't care about the problem. Next, listen for the right thing. Little uh, first confession here. The Vincents apparently have in their DNA, maybe it's a trait or a tradition or whatever, of sarcasm. Not bragging here. This is not the biting sarcasm variety, but really attempted humor at pointing out apparent or possible inconsistencies as we banter back and forth. When the horde gets together, this goes on constantly among everybody. Now, uh, Sometimes I can get Chrissy to laugh, but other times when she's trying to express something that's heavy on her mind and I fail to see that and respond with my humorous sarcasm, it does not go well. All right? Men in general tend to think that it's their job to sift out the emotion and look for the facts so that we can produce the obvious solution. Now, Chrissy and I both took the Simbus personal evaluation several years ago. Simbus means saving your marriage before it starts. We happened at the time to have been married for almost 40 years, but still, we're still married. That's good. That's good. Uh, and in that process, um, I found out that I scored high as the deliberating spouse, which may be a byproduct of my work as an attorney. Uh, it really helps to analyze uh, when trying to sort out not just the facts, but how others are perceiving, interpreting, and applying those facts. This trait can be helpful in lawyering, but it can be a real liability when Christie wants to talk about a problem. More often than I care to remember, I have listened for a little bit, I raised my hand to stop and start cross-examining to get the facts. Well, that effectively short-circuits the conversation and changed it, the problem from what she was talking about to the problem of me. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, Christy tested out on that survey as the unwavering spouse, which she is. I'm grateful. The key to the problem is that she wants her feelings listened to. That means to, that we have to do the opposite 
of our natural inclination. We have to filter out the problem so that we can concentrate on her feelings. Wait for a request for help. And if you're like me, you sometimes don't know what she wants. So if unsure, it's okay to, say, to ask, uh, honey, do, do you want me to say something or, you, or do you just want me to listen? Make sure you're not saying that sarcastic, like, do you just want me to sit here like a lump on a log? Okay? It's got to be a genuine question, okay? Uh, then we must really listen if so requested. Next, uh, affirm her feelings about the problem. Now, this is where it gets a little dicey. Listening as discussed here means that she knows you recognize the problem by a simple verbal restatement of her words. You could say something like, if I hear you correctly, I think you're saying da-da-da-da-da. And just so she can know that you're tracking and that you're getting it. It's important even if we disagree with her take on the issue or her assumptions. We are not necessarily agreeing with her at this point, but simply acknowledging her feelings because feelings are neither right nor wrong, even though they may be based on false assumptions. Now, guys are now thinking, well, if she's wrong or misinterpreted something, I need to fix it. And true, there may come a point at which you've got to talk through the problem. But during a time of emotional sharing, it will likely be totally counterproductive to interject, oh, you should not feel that way. Now, the Feldmans in their book lay out several things that you should definitely not say, guys, but I just encourage you to read the book to get that advice. Finally, when the problem involves your relationship with her, and most of, guys, most of us guys jump to the conclusion that she is attacking me because she thinks I did something stupid or, or wrong or hurtful. Perhaps we did. But often it's usually not our performance that's the issue. Most women process feelings by talking about them, so they need to lay it out on the table so we will listen. We can avoid escalation of the conversation by not getting defensive, and taking it personally. By all means, do not pull out the big guns. Okay? Another confession. One time during a, a rather difficult conversation, I got frustrated and I actually made the statement, you sound just like your mother. Oh. <laughs> big, big mistake. Now, we may feel attacked, but more likely it is not, that's not the case. Lay down our defenses, just listen and wait for the opportunity so that you can invest in a relationship and demonstrate that in a way that she will really feel understood. This is a really interesting statistic. The Feldmans found that 60% of women felt negatively about their husband's suggestions when, he did not, when she did not sense he was listening. However, when they were asked to set aside how they felt about his emotional support, 80% agreed that their husband gave them good suggestions. Go figure. Okay? The lesson here is that the guys who really first listen and actually engage have much more power to find solutions. Okay? Next topic. Thankfully... Uh, Mike uh, covered uh, last week the gift of sex uh, that, had been, that has been devalued in our culture. 
Uh, and uh, Jeff Feldman made the comment in the book that when a guy gets a book about marriage, he looks at the table of contents and usually skips forward to this chapter. Uh, don't know. Uh, but uh, we, uh, need, I want to sum up this chapter very briefly with a couple of quips, okay, that are brought out in the book. First quip is women are crockpots, men are microwaves, okay? You guys fast enough to get this? All right. Secondly, if men had the same drive as women, we would find it difficult to propagate the species. If women had the same drive as men, we would never get anything else done. Okay? God made us different and to complement one another and balance each, each, each other out in this area as well. There are real differences in this area. No surprise that men are generally much more visual and physical, so we tend to assume that their, the wives will respond likewise, and we feel like we're lacking something, or we, we feel inadequate, or we, we're hurt when she does not respond to us likewise. But the good news for men is that it's really not about us. It's much more complicated and, frankly, so much more emotional than physical. Now, if you wish to get a better idea, a better insight into understanding uh, her and how she responds, you just might want to pick up and read the book. The last topic is about beauty. If you're a parent of or you've ever seen a little girl, you know that she loves to get your attention and be told that she is pretty. Uh, well, what the Feldmans found from their survey was that your gifted, grown-up, hardworking, and secure, mature wife has the same need. She does not want to know that she is beautiful to the whole world. She wants to know that she is beautiful to you. Feldmans found that only 3% of women surveyed said that hearing those words made no difference to them. The vast majority of women have a deep need or desire to know that their men find them beautiful. The younger the woman, the greater the need, especially if she has given birth. This is true to some extent, no matter how successful, self-assured, or mature the woman, the length of the relationship, or even age. Now, no doubt, this is driven by a culture which, with advertisements and movies and internet and even the news, project an impossible image of the perfect woman. As we discussed, she knows that men are very visually oriented. And the Feldmans concluded that many women feel constantly on stage and under review. Now, let's take a step back here and look at the biblical approach to this whole issue. In 1 Peter 3, it starts with, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything. Now, this is not saying that it's wrong to look attractive for your husband. 
But it does say that the primary and imperishable beauty of a woman is her character, her virtue, and yes, her gentle and submissive spirit. But this does not mean that she will not be tempted to compare. Now, reality is that husbands are not just the male who shares her space. We are her most important mirror. In her mind, the affirming expression of her man is the primary defense against those external and even internal pressures she feels. Now, ladies, as you know, men are very visually oriented. Please remember that in our day, that woman is all over the place. And if he happens to steal a glance, he's not being unfaithful, and it is not sin. We call that temptation. Now, men, the second look is sin, okay, uh, when that woman walks by. A good example, that, for me anyway, is a guy named David Robinson. Now, David was not only a handsome guy, he was seven foot one and a great basketball player, and some of you, I think he played for the Spurs, and he was an MVP, great guy. And the sports magazines uh, wrote a story about him. They entitled it St. David. And they wrote about how when they took breaks in the play, uh, uh, he would sit with his head looking down at the floor uh, while his coach gave instructions because right in front of them were all these scantily clad cheerleaders performing. And then it also detailed how when voluptuous women would approach him with the wrong motives, he would be somewhat curt or rude with them. And, he, he, and they asked him, why do you treat them that way? And his answer was, if any woman's going to be offended, it's not going to be my wife. All right? Good attitude to have. Okay? Getting close here. Guys, one last final but bright red warning. One thing that will demean your wife, cause unimaginable pain to her and you, and from which it is very, very difficult to regain trust, is to view any porn. James 1 warns that each man is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. That desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it, is, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Proverbs 5 presents a rather graphic picture of marital relations in which the wife is analogized as different forms of H2O. She's called water, springs, streams, and a fountain. And uh, Solomon writes here, Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving deer and a graceful doe. Solomon's asking the rhetorical question, Guys, how would you feel if your wife was out there committing adultery? And recall that Jesus said, when you lust, you're committing adultery in your heart. Now, I can't do justice for the sage advice of the Feldmans in this area on how to respond to her needs for affirmation for her inner and outer beauty. Therefore, again, 
highly recommend that you read the book. To wrap up here, uh, above all, we need to understand the relationship. Uh, for a wife or a future wife, we've got to understand what it means to be in a biblical marriage, a true gift of our Creator. We should not assume that a biblical marriage is just like any other marriage except the two are Christians. It is distinctly different. This topic has been addressed before here and will likely be revisited, but it is huge. I want to end with just a few comments here that help both parties to the relationship better understand how the differences fit together. Okay, brace yourselves. Men, did you know that the Bible says that you are the savior of your wife? that wake anybody up? Now, the key New Testament passage here for the relationship is Ephesians 5. So please let me explain, try to listen as I explain my rather outlandish statement. Ephesians 5 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, we're not going to talk about the headship and submission issue right now. Uh, we don't have time for that, but we've done it before, and I'm sure we'll do it again. But the point we want to make here is, how can or in what sense is the husband the savior of his wife when we teach here that we can do nothing to earn our salvation and our only savior is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross that paid the price for our sins? That's it. That's our only savior for eternal life. Well, the same Paul in 1 Timothy 4 says that we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe. Now, this leads us to conclude that the word Savior in this context is not meant for eternal life, but in the wider sense that Jesus preserves and blesses all people with all good things, much like our concept of what we call common grace, which is God's provision to all mankind, saved and unsaved alike. Therefore, the husband is to be the savior of his wife by preserving and blessing his wife, by humbly protecting, providing, nourishing, cherishing, leading, and loving her as Christ has done for us. So within a biblical marriage, there are certain attitudes and responsibilities that will follow not out of obligation, but out of love. Within a biblical marriage, we see this. Verse 25 of that chapter, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is not an easy passage to understand, but we must try. To love our wives as Christ loved the church means that Christ loved the church with a special love. A husband, in the same way, is to love his wife with more than a general love that he has as a Christian for all, but with a special love. According to Charles Spurgeon, a special love is unselfish, Never for what she has, but for who she is. For what he makes her as the object of his love, and for what he is able to bestow upon her. So, he loves her by giving himself up for her as Christ humbled himself, became like a bondservant, gave himself up for his bride, the church. Finally, this means that a husband 
will live with his wife in an understanding way. The passage continues. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, we don't have time to plumb the depths of this passage, and it is deep. But one point I want to make is that some see the command to love a wife as your own body is an appeal to self-interest. I think the better view is that a husband should love his wife because she is his own body. The two have become one. However, when a man is joined to his wife in marriage, her nature does not become just like his. God made her different. And frankly, personally, for that difference, I am grateful. Yeah, when a wife is built up, the husband benefits. But gentlemen, may I ask you to consider, if it is our goal to edify and build up our wives, can we really do that? Can we really humbly provide for, protect, nourish, cherish, lead, and love her if we have not done our best to understand her? Speaking of which, uh, before we close, I want to announce that if there is interest in learning more about uh, understanding our wives, having a better marriage, leading and loving, uh, we would like to gather men married and single for uh, a six-session study starting in the fall. Uh, so if you're interested, I'm going to put this blue sheet, sign-up sheet out on the welcome table. Please sign it after the uh, service today. If you would, please stand. And we, as the worship team comes up, we'll recite. Hopefully, we've got a... There we go. All right, together. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church. However... Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she